mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 114 of Putting in Work, the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective. We are powered by Audio Technica, and I'm your host, John O'Peck, here to talk with Mr. Sam Atherton, a dear friend of mine from all the way over in Japan, previously of Manhattan, previously of somewhere in Michigan. Sam has been a huge supporter of me, not only in the podcast, but my book, The Spy and the Maven. And as a podcaster, previously with Four Yanks, One Aussie, but now on Awkward Pause and Gone Gold, it's been really fun to be able to be part of his conversational podcast with some of our other friends, just yucking it up and having a good time. So I thought he'd be a great guest for this Spotlight series I'm doing in April where I talk to a different friend every week and tell you about some of the stuff they're working on and why you should be checking out what they're doing. Sam is a graphic designer, as I mentioned, working previously in Manhattan in the Big Apple, but he recently escaped that life to go and teach English over in Japan, which is what he's been doing for the past six months, having all kinds of adventures, which you can hear about every week on the Awkward Pause podcast. I've always loved Sam's gentle sensibility, but also his sense of humor. And I think that you're really going to enjoy getting to know Sam a bit more if you don't already. And if you do know him, then you guess you'll get to hear some of the nitty gritty of the decisions he's been making over the past years that have led him to where he is, what motivates him and what makes his creative mind tick. Without further ado, here he is, Sammy Atherton. Enjoy the show. Sam Atherton, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. How are you going? John, I'm doing all right. How are you? Oh, man. I just looking at you and seeing that smile. It's made made my <laughs> night. It's uh, so good. It's been way too long, man. It has been way too long. How long has it been since you've been on uh, on the show, on one of our shows? <laughs> uh, 590 days, I think. <sighs> exactly. That's what happens. You, you, you kill our YouTube, you're <laughs> off the show forever. Yeah. No more Aussies. It's a shame. It's a real shame. <laughs> I got so much, so many stories to tell. You know, I listen to to Awkward Pause and Gone Gold, and I dream about being invited back to tell because I, I, I get these ideas. I'm like, oh, that would be a great story for for Awkward Pause, but you know, <laughs> maybe one day, <laughs> some somebody on that show doesn't like me. I'm convinced. <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> no, but it's great, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about because you've done a lot of stuff since then. Uh, I've done but, a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> And, and you're looking really good too. You lost some weight. We could probably talk about, you know, that ex- whole thing as well, but we won't because mm-hmm. there's enough other stuff to go into that's probably more interesting. But I just thought I'd throw it out there for to give the people at home that visual of a very svelte Sam sitting in front of me. Thanks. I've lost a lot of weight and I feel good. <laughs> <laughs> and you should. So uh, for people who don't know, Awkward Pause, Gone Gold, why don't you tell the boys and girls about some of the stuff that you get up to? Uh, yeah, so about three about three years ago, uh, I randomly decided to go to Kind of Funny Live 2. I just got like a random hotel room with uh, three other guys. Uh, we became best friends. We picked up an Australian. <laughs> and then we started uh, one podcast. And then that podcast died. And from the ashes of that rose Awkward Pause, uh, which is like a comedy podcast. And we also do another show called Gone Gold. Uh, which is a comedy slash gaming podcast. Yeah, I don't know. That's I guess that's it. <laughs> yeah, that is that's a that's a very quick rapid fire summary of of three years. But <laughs> four Yanks, one Aussie. We have to mention that, and our boy NATO on the Eight Bit Network was a big part of that show, and really the the introduction to to me to you guys, which 
is which I'm really grateful and thankful for. He uh, introduced me to you guys and let me come on the show a few times, as I mentioned before. <laughs> and uh, I feel like we've uh, really had some great relationships with you guys over that time too. It's been really awesome. And it's one of the things that I love about this online community we have is that we're able to connect people like that and start new friendships and new ventures. Like even Elma, one of your co-hosts, on the show has introduced you to people like Sam Kingman and Robert who are a big part of what you guys are doing over there. So that's really cool. Yeah. I, I just, I love that. Maybe this is true for like other like communities, but I feel like because like, you know, a lot of my friends have podcasts now. It's like, it's just like so cool being able to like work with one another and like help each other grow. Like Cassidy and I were on like the three best friends to talk mm. about kingdom hearts with, um, like Mike Toundro and uh, Alex O'Neill was there. And it was just like so cool because like, you know, I had like met some new people uh, and had like got to talk to some old friends. And yeah, it's just like really cool. Like what a close knit mm. group of like friends I've made. And like, I don't know. Yeah, it's really it's really special. Yeah, it is. it's probably what it was like being a hip hop artist in the 80s, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine it being something like that. Yeah, exactly the same. Exactly the same. But it is cool. Like you look at any of our podcasts in iTunes and it comes up with this like list at the bottom, like people who listen to this also listen to. And it's always pretty much like you guys, Irrational Passions, OK Beast, you know, whoever else in 8-Bit. Uh, so it, it's cool to see there's a lot of overlap there. We're, we're in the same community and We've got a lot of the same supporters, which is really cool. But uh, you you mentioned, I guess, the friendship of of uh, the four of you, the five of you originally that started that podcast. And how much of a, a factor has that been in, I guess, driving you to create something together and find a way to keep in touch, right? Yeah, it's it's really nice because, you know, we, we record together twice a week. But like, we, you know, we have our Facebook group chat and we talk all day Hmm. and it sucks because you know i'm now on the other side of the globe and 13 hours apart from them so like they have their conversations during the day and then when i wake up i have to scroll through (laughs) and read everything that they've said and like i add my like little jokes to to what they said like six hours ago (laughs) it doesn't make any sense but yeah it's just it's really nice um you know because i I think when i lived in new york i had friends but I i felt really isolated I guess. And like, they were really the only friends that I had. And now that I'm in Japan, I have a friend, I have a friend here Mm. and we hang out and work together, but you know, that's one friend and it's really hard to make friends here because I don't speak any Japanese. (laughs) That's not true. I've heard you speak some Japanese. Uh, I I speak a little Japanese. You have a a good accent in my opinion. Not that I'm an expert (laughs) on Japanese. (laughs) Every time I hear you say something, I'm like, Oh, he sounds so Japanese. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I am. I get constantly roasted by my by my friend because I have really bad pronunciation, according to her. Okay, see, I know nothing, but you fooled, <laughs> you, fooled, you fooled me. That's all that matters, John. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all that matters is how you sound to the the gaijin. <laughs> so the awkward pause stuff. You've, uh, as you mentioned, it's it's comedy podcast, but you decided to start this gaming one and. And what's been the uh, evolution of that over, I guess, almost, has it been a year? It's been more than a year now, right? Yeah, it's been, we've been doing Gone Gold for over a year and we're almost at one year for Awkward Pause. Mm. Um, and Gone Gold has been, has been really fun because, you know, it's, 
like none of my friend, like none of my real life friends like video games. And I can't tell them, oh, I've been playing Sekiro and like, oh man, this boss is really tough. Like, you know, they don't care. So, uh, you know, just having like a support group of friends who care about gaming and who care about like the dumb memes that I think are funny uh, has been great. And it's just fun to talk about games in like a semi-professional way, I guess. Sure. And are you finding that there's a, you know, as much as you've been and we've been part of different communities together, do you find that the content that you've made over the past few years has created its own community of listeners as well? Whether it's big or small? Of course, there's one, Kevy Coops. <laughs> uh, and like, God bless that man. Australia's own. Yeah, Australia's own Kevy Coops. Um, he bought Titanfall 2 because we were playing it for our uh, our G4 gaming book club. And, you know, I I couldn't believe it. Like, that someone would go out and, like, buy something because we bought it, I guess. It was really special. Someone you've never met. Someone in another yeah. country. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was like super cool. And, uh, you know, Sam, uh, Sam Mosher bought one of my shirts. Um, and it's just like so cool seeing people respond so positively to things that I've made, especially with the design, because, you know, like the podcast is cool, but like my passion is like graphic design and just being able to make like dumb shirts every month has been really special. No one really buys them. Like only a few people buy them, but it's really nice to see that notification. Like, oh, yeah, you know, Andrew Taylor bought a sweatshirt. <laughs> Sam Kingma bought a T-shirt, and you know, Sam Mosher bought a sweatshirt, and it's it's really it feels really good. It is cool. There's a there's a good selection of T-shirts up at the uh, Design by Humans Putting in Work shop, and <laughs> it, it seems like they only sell when there's a sale, and I remind people that they're there, but. Uh, <laughs> It, it is pretty cool to see, you know, you get sent a photo of someone wearing the shirt that you've put up there or that kind of thing. It gives you a little, like, because it's a pretty, like, when someone puts something on their t-shirt on their body and wears it out in public, like, that's a pretty big endorsement, I think. So, oh, to, uh, to get out there and, and see that people have chosen something you've done or you've created to to put on themselves, like... It might not be a tattoo, but it's the closest thing. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would... Uh, if anyone wants to get an awkward pause tattoo, <laughs> hit me up. I'll send you the artwork for it. I'm sure Sam Kingmer or Kevin Coops are not far <laughs> away from that. But that's a, a good segue into the other thing I wanted to talk about, which was your design work. And I guess the fact that you lived in Manhattan for a number of years working as, as a designer, to me, is so cool. Like, that's a real, like, madman type level <laughs> of uh, achievement you've got there so tell me about what you were doing and how you ended up as a, a boy from michigan all the way over in the big apple and what <laughs> yeah, what it was like to work there because i've always had a fascination with new york i love that it's my favorite city in the world that i've ever been to and i don't know if, whether it's from like being a huge seinfeld fan or all these other <laughs> kinds of pop culture touchstones that i've grown up with but I just love that city and I can only imagine how great it would be as a young person to, to live there and work there. Yeah, it was, uh, so I knew that I wanted to be a graphic designer my freshman year of high school. I took a graphic design class and the teacher made us or had us make album art for our favorite album. And I mean, mine was so bad, but I just like, I loved being able to make, to make something. 
like redesigning uh, album art because yeah. I'm sure that these albums already had artwork. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was you know design like redesign the album art for your favorite album. Okay. And you know I was it was so bad, and I I wish I still had the files so I could like you know really I could like send everyone. Look at how far I came. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, then, and I always knew that I wanted to live in either LA or New York and I've been fortunate enough to live in both of those places. And yeah, New York is, it's such a special place. There's so much energy, but working there and working as a designer is rough. There was, it was so stressful. Um, and you know, I would just get, I I felt very overworked. Yeah. You know, I don't want to say that I like snapped or whatever, but <laughs> you moved to Japan. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think you know I definitely needed needed. I don't know. My mom thinks it's like a way, like moving here was like my way to escape from what I was doing, mm. and maybe she's right, but she sounds I don't pretty know. wise. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It, uh, maybe I just needed a, a way out to like. So I wasn't I wasn't like defeated by New York. I just mm. you know was ready and ready for something different. So what is it, do you think, about New York that generates that kind of environment? Like, is it the industry specifically that you're in? Is it just that New York state of mind, that hustle that kind of pushes you to work really hard? Mm, I think it's definitely the industry. Uh, and maybe maybe it was like the company that I was at. And I, I don't really have a frame of reference for what other companies are like. Mm. Um, but it just seemed like, you know, it was so chaotic and so hectic every day it just got like to the point where my mind was kind of getting worn down i guess yeah um so it's just like you know i would be working on a project and then we'd get a phone call like hey we need this brochure made in 30 minutes can you do it (laughs) and then my boss would be like yeah sure uh and then he would call me and be like okay we have 20 minutes to do this brochure uh and then it just yeah it was very chaotic it sounds like a competitive kind of thing where to meet the demand, they have to really offer something that others won't do, which is maybe turn something around in 20 minutes. Yeah. There are, I think, literally thousands of graphic design firms in New York City. But, you know, I've, I've heard that it's probably the the hardest place or like the most competitive place to work um, just because there is such a, a big industry and... You know, who wants to be a graphic designer in Lansing, Michigan, when they could be a graphic designer in New York City? So everyone moves there in hopes of, you know, kind of getting that dream job. Mm. So what's that dream job for you? Because I remember you did an episode of of Private Chats with uh, Andrew Taylor, shout out. And I think I asked the question because he solicits them and, and it was like, what would you design if you could do anything like as a designer? And I think you'd just done some podcast art or t-shirt or something for like our other friend, Ian Prichelle. And you're like, oh, I think I would just like to do podcast art for my friends. And I was like, that's such a like quaint and Sam kind of answer where <laughs> not, not to say that you're not like highly ambitious, but I think it comes back to like this thing, this theme we've talking about before of friendship and like, you're just a chill guy who maybe that was your rebellion <laughs> against the New York industry. That you, but yeah, like, first of all, what is that still the way that you, you see design? Like you just want to make stuff for your friends or like what would you eventually like to see yourself working in if you go back to graphic design? Mm, so that's the million dollar question. 
am I going to go back to graphic design? I don't know. Yeah. I I have some I have some ideas lined up. Uh, uh, you know, but uh, so the my plan is to move to Austin, Texas, after I get back from Japan, just because you know we went there last May and mm. I kind of fell in love with it. Everyone loves well, it there. Seems like yeah. Okay, one the weather. It's it's so nice there. I'm sick of the cold, Jono. <laughs> so I I don't know if I'll be like a full time graphic designer ever again. But I think that like what I learned from being des- a designer will always be like there with me and like you know just like having those kind of skills to one multitask at an yeah. incredibly fast rate and you know just like kind of that design eye. I think I will use that for whatever I do next. Yeah, that's a really cool way to look at it because I think people often feel like if they've studied something or if they've dedicated a long part of their life to a certain craft or skill that they have to stick with it. But that's really not the case, especially these days where it's so easy to like retrain yourself in another industry. As long as you can take that hit of not working for an amount of time, like and as long as to me, you've learned something from that industry or that skill or that trade and taken it with you. And I think that that happens whether you like intend to or whether you focus on it or not. But if you can especially say, like you just did, that graphic design taught you, you know, how to learn new tools, how to time management, how to multitask, like that is a really great way to look at it, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the the job that I'm doing now, so I'm, I don't know if I said I'm a teacher. I'm a, I teach English now mm-hmm. in Japan. And... uh uh, apart from like making posters with markers and stuff, uh, you know, I, I don't really get to do much design at work, but just like kind of the skills that I I learned as a designer. And like, I think the, the biggest thing is at the end of my time in New York, I was kind of like a supervisor, I guess. And supervising and training junior designers is a lot like teaching people how to speak English if they don't really understand you. Uh, they both require a lot of patience and a lot of repetition. Uh, and so I, I, you know, I think, I think back like anytime like a student like can't like get a certain pronunciation down, like, you know, Japanese people have a really hard time with their R's and their L's. Um, you know, if they, you know, so, you know, I can just like go over and drill all that stuff. And it's the same as if someone can't figure out how to align type properly. <laughs> The, the similarities are there, John. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. And it's it's something I see all the time. Like in my own work, I've often talked to someone that used to be a nurse and now they work in research. And then you think like that's so far away from what you were doing before, but they've applied like that, you know, care for a better outcome for the patient to what they're doing in research. So they're still trying to find the best care for a patient, but it's, in an office instead of in a ward and you see that all the time and it it really does kind of remind you that you're not stuck in what you're doing which i think is a really encouraging thing yeah yeah i think so too Hmm. so you've been talking about japan a little bit but the decision to go there must have been a difficult one would you say yeah i uh it's a big change yeah so uh shout out to one ian prichel who came on your podcast it must have been a year and a half ago, maybe yeah, two years ago. That sounds about right. Yeah, and so he he kind of talked about his his journey 
And I think he said that he was like working at a, a hospital or mm-hmm. something. And uh, what, what really struck a chord with me, he, he thought to himself, is this what I want to be? Is this what I want to do? And he decided that it wasn't. I was like, is graphic design what I want to do? Maybe it's not. And you know, I've, I've always kind of loved Japanese culture. Um, you, uh, by Japanese culture, I mean the food and anime and video games. <laughs> and I was kind of sick of like working in New York. Um, and I played to one place. And I thought, you know, if I get the job, great. If I don't, that's great too. Um, I got the job and here I am. Yeah, you make it sound so simple, but was there was there any back and forth of whether it was the right thing? Like, because I feel like I know that you know, as a single young American man, you've got a lot of freedom to kind of just do whatever you want. But there must still be this feeling like, can I really just go to another country where I don't know anyone? Like that must have been pretty daunting, right? Mm, yeah, it was definitely it was definitely scary, and a lot of a lot of people like you know, really negative about it, I guess. Like, you know, I told, I told my friends, uh, when I, like last Chris, uh, two Christmases ago, I was like, Hey, I'm like thinking about like moving to Japan. And they're like, no, you're not. No. <laughs> what? What? No. And I was like, yeah, like, I think it'll be a cool opportunity. You know, it's just like what I kind of want to do. Um, and you know, my, my parents, my, okay. My mom had a really tough time with it. Really hard time accepting that, you know, I wanted to move even further away from her. <laughs> uh, but my dad has always been like such a huge proponent of like adve- like going on adventures. Mm. Um, when he was in college, he studied abroad in Colombia. And that was, I think he's, he's like said, like probably the best experience of his like young life, I guess. And so he's always been like a huge, like, you know, get out there and do it. Move to L.A., move mm. to New York, move to Japan. But yeah, it was it was definitely a hard decision, uh, but I, I think ultimately the right one. Mm. And tell us a bit about the experience of, I guess, getting there and culture shock and the things that you love, the things that have been a struggle, and I guess just the overall Japanese experience after what must be four, five months, is it? Mm, yeah, I think I'm at five, five to six months now. Mm. I'm like, yeah, halfway, halfway through almost. Yeah. Yeah. I got to Japan. I live in a pretty small town. It's Japan's 39th largest city, right. I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, it's, it feels pretty small. Um, a very, like, it's a very old community. I think like there's a lot of old people, which makes it kind of tough because there's not like a ton of people my age, you know, there are some parts of Japanese culture that are incredible. Like the food is you know, you could go to a Japanese restaurant in Australia or in America and like, okay, it's good, but it's going to be expensive. Yeah, super. Here, like a bowl of ramen is like $5 and it's so, it's like the best ramen I've ever had. And, um, you know, just like being able to like experience new things. Like, I'm not sure what Australia is like, but in America, I think, you know, like the oldest stuff we have is one, like in only the big cities and it's from like the 17 or 1800s. And that's like kind of the extent of our history. Mm. But, you know, I live, I live like next door to a castle from the 1400s or the 1500s. Like I, I saw a sign for a hot spring that was celebrating its 1000th year <laughs> in business. It's like, a what? A thousand years? 
I couldn't believe it. That's, yeah. Australia is very similar. We're even younger than America. So most of our stuff's, you know, 100 years old at the max. And everything before that got knocked down or turned into something else. So, yeah, people often from here go over to Europe and talk about how amazing it is to see cultures that old. Or even England and it's similar. But, yeah, Japan has such a, a rich history and a lot of that stuff's still around, which is, I didn't realize that's cool. Yeah. They had like, there's such a reverence for like the old stuff. Like, you know, mm. I'll, I'll be walking down the street, like even in my little town and there'll be these big apartment buildings uh, right. And then nestled in between them is like this really old temple, um, you know, where these like shrine maidens are yeah. like selling these like good luck charms and stuff. It's, it's really special. And the, the one thing that, I don't know. Like there's, there are some bad things. And yeah. I think the one thing that really I can't wrap my head around that they've come to like normalize is the way that they treat women. And yeah, I heard it, you talk about this on your yeah, show. It's awful. I can't remember what I said on awkward pause, but it's just like, you know, they, they've come to like, women have come to accept that they are like inferior to men and like, it's their yeah. job to make babies. And like, I, Oh man, I It's like a 1950s western point of view. Yeah, and you know, I I I had a I had a student um who I think she was probably in her 50s and you know, we were talking about like this and she's like, "Yeah, when I had my kids, I I had to quit my job." And she said it was like like it was like any other sentence. I was like I told her I was like, "I can't believe that. It's it's so hard for me to hear that you know, you you had to choose between having a family and having a job she's like yeah that's how it is or that's how it was but i think still even today it's like there are still traces of that and it's Mm. it's tough yeah and that's probably a tough thing where you're a visitor there so you have to be respectful of the culture that you're in as a as a tourist but also i guess questioning whether it is the right way to be because you've got a outside perspective right Mm, yeah but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's like really the only thing. Um, it's definitely weird getting getting stared at literally everywhere I go. Uh, you know, is it the tattoos? I it's not even the tattoos because most of the time I have them covered up, and because that's I mean also like I think you know a lot of people are afraid of them, afraid of tattoos. But yeah, even just like my my whiteness as I walk down the street, uh, people like I can tell they're just like staring. So I don't know, which is also partially why I wanted to go. Because, you know, I, being a straight white male in America is a, uh, a cakewalk, I guess. Um, and so I just I kind of wanted to get that perspective of what it feels mm. like to be like a minority, I guess. Like I, I make that joke on Awkward Pause a lot. Like I tell Elmer, oh, yeah, us minorities. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure that pisses him off. But uh, yeah, I, I really that is like partially why I wanted to come because I just wanted to mm. see what it felt like to to have that experience. Yeah, it's cool that you've deliberately put yourself outside of your comfort zone to experience what it's like to, I guess, not be in the majority, to be the the odd one out. And that's something that is really uncomfortable to to most people. I think it is interesting because often people will talk about, for example, I'm Christian and the country that I live in is, you know, if you had to describe what the majority of religion is here it would be what what we are but then there's parts of the world where christians are persecuted and they 
murdered for their beliefs and it's just crazy to think that people deliberately go over there to you know do missionary work and to try and improve the situations yeah i i the one the interesting thing is like japan i think also kind of cherry picks what parts of traditions they want to copy so mm. there are like every once in a while you'll see these huge like cathedrals and they're really gaudy and they're just they're wedding <laughs> chapels they don't have like, like right like catholic yeah. style like presbyterian style yeah like they they're you know they don't have service on sundays but they have they just have like american style weddings in mm-hmm. these big chapels and you know they don't they mean uh, you know they're not christian but you know yeah. they just want to have that like oh i want to lift up the veil and throw the you know bouquet behind my head <laughs> so yeah it's a we probably do that with with japanese culture as well oh, i'm sure yeah. <laughs> yeah kung fu i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Is kung fu? Kung fu is not Japanese. <laughs> mm, nope. I do it's, have a. It's Chinese or, or Hong Kong <laughs> or something. Yeah. Yeah, I do have a student that does. Uh, he does like martial arts with like swords and stuff, and he yeah. he's like really good at it, I guess. And his that's and, cool. Uh, so they they do stuff some stuff, and then I have a, a student that does, I think Tai Chi and, mm. um, which I think is also from China, but you know they do it here too. Sure. Samurais are Japanese though, right? Oh yeah. Uh, and yeah. It's, here's the thing. Japanese people love samurais just as much as white people do. Yeah. Uh, I, I live next to the castle and there's always like a group of like people who work for the castle that just walk around in samurai gear and take pictures with people. Right. And so it's like the uh, the maritime villages equivalent. Mm, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> That's rad. Is that what you call them? Maritime villages? Yeah. You know, like when you go there and they're all dressed in like prospector gold rush kind of thing yeah i'm trying to think uh, i can't think oh, of sorry the name of- sorry maritime is like i'm getting confused because i grew up on a, on a coastal town but maritime it's also like the boats and mm. that kind of thing yeah I, i'm trying to think of what we call them in america but pioneer village yeah pioneer village that's it yeah yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> we got there <laughs> very cool so what would you say has been like the hardest part culturally like you mentioned just i guess the difference in in values but what's been the hardest part culturally of of living in a place where you know you can't just walk down the street and read the signs necessarily or understand what people are trying to tell you in shops and stores Mm. yeah it's uh it's definitely hard because it was also my goal to eat like all of the food that i could eat here Mm -hmm. but it's really hard if I, I don't understand the menu and the percentage of people that speak or are willing to speak English to me is very low. So I just have to guess most of the time. And sometimes I guess right. And most of the time I guess wrong. Uh, and it's just really, I feel so stupid when they ask me what I would imagine is a basic question. And I just have to kind of shrug and then they, they have to like <laughs> explain it even simpler than they're already explaining it. And I just, I feel so, I, yeah, I feel stupid, but I'm trying to learn Japanese. What was it you were asking people for a long time? What is a toilet? Oh yeah. I, no joke. <laughs> that's what I was asking them. I thought that was right. Um, I have since learned I've gotten better and I can, you know, I can ask where is the toilet or is there a toilet here? Yeah. Um, that's great. But- my, uh, my friend just went to Japan and he used his phone and Google translate the whole time to just like type what he wanted and then just show it to people. So 
I guess that's an option, but you're also probably trying to challenge yourself to speak the language as much as possible, right? Yeah, I I think that Google Translate is wildly inaccurate or like what they do translate is so this is really weird. So in Japanese they have like three different ways, at least three different ways of like talking to people depending on who you're talking to. Mm. And, you know, if you're talking just like casually, it's like polite. And then you can talk to your friends, which is like very like rudimentary and like they don't conjugate any of the verbs. And then there's like one that if you're like talking to like someone who's far, far, far more superior than you. And uh, I think that's how Google Translate translates things. Right. So uh, it it gets a little confused sometimes. <laughs> but you have, have you tried that? Do you use that ever? Every once in a while, I'll like translate like certain words if I, mm. if I'm trying to like order something in, in like particular, or if I'm trying to tell a girl that I like her hair, um, sure. but I don't, I don't know the word for hair. So I, I did it. A lot. I did it there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it feels kind of, it kind of feels like cheating um, to yeah. use Google translate all the time. <laughs> Fair enough. So what would you say would be your advice to anyone out there? We've talked a lot about, you know, that big step of, of moving over to Japan and kind of getting your head around the different culture. So just like Ian gave advice a couple of years ago that probably was really helpful to you, what do you think would be helpful to people who might be listening and wondering whether they should get out of their comfort zone, whether it is going to another country or just maybe looking for a job in a new city or something like that? Mm. Yeah, I I mean, especially for... if Okay, if you want to... Uh, listeners, if you want to move to Japan do it. Uh, you know, it's, it sounds, I've made it sound difficult, but people are so, most people are so willing to be helpful, um, which is really nice. Uh, just in, in general, I, I was re-listening to episode one of Awkward Pause and I, I read this book and uh, they, they, they said that the most important step a man can take is the first one or the next one. And uh, it just, it really resonated with me and I hope that it like resonates with someone else. Like, you know, just like, always do the next thing, you know, cause who knows what'll happen. Mm. No, that's good. And w- what does that mean for you? Like the next thing at different points, that was always going to be something like the next challenge or just the next thing that leads you to where you need to go. Yeah. Um, man, it's, yeah, it's tough. Cause I think, you know, I've I've lived a, a life that's pretty different from most of the other kids that I went to like high school with. You know, most of them are, you know, living in the same town, um, and you know, are working real estate or something. <laughs> something growing up. And no offense to people that work in real estate. It seems like it you make a lot of money doing that. Um, but you know, I just I always I wanted to have adventures and like do things. You know, experience new things. So yeah, you know, who knows where I'm going to end up, but I just want to be happy, I guess. (laughs) Like you've mentioned already just in this conversation, I think like five different cities by the time you get to Austin that you would have lived in. So do you think that you're traveling looking for somewhere that that suits you or is it just that you enjoy being in new places? Is is that what you've been kind of looking for every time you move somewhere? Mm, Man, I don't know. Cause I thought, I thought that New York was the place, like, you know, I thought that I was going to live in New York, have a family in New York, have little kids that like ride the subway, you know, to go to school and stuff. Uh, I, you know, I, I 
legitimately thought that that was going to be it. Mm. Um, and it turns out that it wasn't. So, yeah, I don't know. I hope Austin's cool. <laughs> I'd like to stay there for a while. Um, you know. Time will tell. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe I'll end up back in Michigan, my hometown, selling houses. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of cool people in Austin, at least. Yeah. Like Logan, last episode of this show, Logan, Christian, it's there, you know. Yeah. I forgot that Probably. Logan lives there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, Sam. If you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Mm, if I could do anything and know that I wouldn't fail, I would try out for a professional baseball team. Really? I didn't know that you were a baseball fan. Yeah, I I like the Detroit Tigers. Okay. Are they any good? I don't think so. Is that why I don't hear you talking about them? Because they're no good? No, that's the home team. Yeah, but like I don't hear you talking about them. So I'm asking, like, is that because they're no good? Oh, no, I mean, I just think it would be cool to be, it would be cool to be famous, I think. I think it would be a lot of fun. I thought you would would have said, like, if you wanted to be famous, it would have been in some hardcore band, because I know how much you love your music. Oh, that's tough, but can you be famous in, in like, a, a regular band now? Uh, maybe. I mm. feel like now you have to be... It sounds like you want to be super duper famous then. Super cause... duper famous, Jono. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think that would be a, it would be an interesting career. Mm. Who's the most famous like graphic designer? Because it's not really an industry where people outside of it probably know anyone really. Hmm. I think probably the most famous uh, is a guy uh, by the name of Milton Glaser, who did the I Heart New York logo. Um, right. In like the eighties or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think in the eighties. Um, and you know he has a very prolific like our career like there's like a poster of bob dylan i think where it's like the it's like a silhouette of his face and then like his hair is like all of these different colors and stuff uh he did that and then like maybe more recently um oh i don't know there's not that many famous designers it's it's crazy to think like there was probably a time where all these famous movie posters were done by the same two or three people you know, like the Indiana Jones posters and the Star Wars posters and that kind of thing. But now there's probably like there's so many crazy people out there like Boss Logic and whoever else that, uh, yeah, it would, I guess it would be harder to become the go to guy. Yeah, I think it's all about kind of making a name for yourself. And those like famous people like, you know, I'm sure they're making a lot of money like doing their that one thing, um, which is really cool. But, you know, not everyone can can have like that one signature style so you have to i guess kind of adapt and stuff cool well thanks for coming on the show sam it's been uh interesting kind of getting just the uh whole experience of of sam atherton and from orchid Paws through to japan and and all these exciting future possibilities for you i, I don't know where you'll end up it sounds like you don't either but <laughs> I, lo- I look forward to finding out where it is <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I I have I have some ideas. Um, you know, I haven't told that many people on a because I I don't want to I don't want to jinx myself. Yeah. But if uh, if everything goes according to plan, I think it's going to be pretty cool. Cool. Well, maybe you'll have to come back on the podcast once that's all happened and we can talk about that. I think it would be a another interesting episode. <laughs> Look forward to it. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Jono. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Audio Technica. 
can catch Sam on Twitter at SuperiorSmath and on Instagram at Sam.in.japan. And if you want to support this show, the best thing you can do is leave an iTunes review and a five-star rating or head over to Patreon.com slash WeAre8Bit, chip in a few bucks and support the 8-Bit Collective, helping us make the best content we can, bringing you everything under the realm of nerd and pop culture. You can follow me on Twitter at Johnny himself. And until next week, keep putting in work. <laughs>